Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with the Witherslack Group, experts in special education and care. Enjoy the podcast. Hello. I think that we are live. We are. You're coming through loud and clear. Fantastic. Amazing. So my name is Ree. This is the first show that I'm hosting with Teachers Talk Radio. So I'm really, really excited to get started. Um, just before we get started, whilst we are sort of thinking about other people that, are, that might be joining us as well, I'm just going to briefly introduce myself as it's my first show. So my name is Reem Ibrahim. I am a student at the London School of Economics. I'm also a part-time 11 plus teacher and you'll find you'll find out more about that as I discuss today's topic and um, so yeah today we're going to be talking about uh, the, the primary question that we were thinking about under the Liz Truss administration which is should we end the ban on new grammar schools this was sort of the primary question around education policy during the very short-lived 44 days that Liz Truss was Prime Minister. And um, it's some, it's, it's a topic that is quite close to my heart, purely due to the fact that I think that when we're thinking about education policy, we're thinking about um, social mobility. Selective education is the best way to get to that. I mean, you know, we've heard some of our best Prime Ministers who have gone to grammar schools themselves. So Margaret Thatcher, for example, and... Um, Edward Heath, Howard Wilson, James Callaghan, some of which are Labour <laughs> Prime Ministers, some Conservative, and they've, they've gone to grammar schools and it's done them quite well. Um, today I have joining me um, Sabia Dean, who I think we can, he can request to speak. If Sabia, if you just click on the, the bottom. Oh, and I your speaker, fantastic. So, Sabi is the director of Think Smart Academy and is I'm I'm very, very happy to have him joining me today because Sabi, how long have you been um teaching the eleven plus four? How how long have you been administering teaching the exam? Well, good evening to you, Marine. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be in the show with you. Thank you for good coming evening. on. That my pleasure, my pleasure. Sorry. Okay, so I've been in teaching for about ten years now. And obviously, I started off as a part-time tutor, where we would teach, our company would be teaching all the way from 11 plus up to A-level. So it's only five years ago when I took over and became the director of the company. And from that, we've, yeah, it's been, it's been a very pleasant journey. And we changed the name, brought about a lot of changes to our company. And yes, now it's, we've got another branch opened up in High Wycombe. So, yeah, it's been a fantastic journey so far, and we're looking to go further and further out. That's fantastic. I think it's really interesting because so most of the other um, Teachers Talk Radio hosts are full-time teachers or have worked in, in full-time education in this sort of mainstream education system in the, in, in the UK. Um, but what's something slightly different, I think, that we maybe don't talk about as much is this sort of third sector of education. So these not necessarily, um, you know, private schools but we're thinking about these private tuition centers or these sort of um private companies that administer exams like the 11 plus which um is obviously the selective 
exam to get into grammar school. So I think what's interesting is that we don't hear too much about these these uh, different institutions and companies and organisations, but actually they have such a huge impact on um, our children's education. And a lot of them, I think, sort of people see them as purely just a um, sort of avenue for sort of middle class families to to get their their children to have extra tuition yeah. but actually a lot of these students come from a variety of different backgrounds so um sabi i was just wondering so what sort of um the, the different aspects of the teaching that you, the, the company you own administers what sort of the what sort of different uh, stuff do you guys actually cover is it just just the 11 plus exam or is do you cover, cover other stuff as well no so we start as we start as soon as as early as year four so that's obviously a key stage two and we have two programs which run for key stage two students starting from year four either the parents come to us because of where we're based in slough this was our first branch now the second branch is in high wickham so now where we're based we've we're surrounded by grammar schools so all of the parents that come to us majority of them they do want to prepare their kids for the 11 plus so we've got two programs. One is the 11 plus program, which we offer starting from year four. And the other is normal tuition just to get their kids, get, get the children you know, up to the level that they should be according to the national curriculum. Now, obviously, when they come on, we always do an assessment. Now that is. Oh, I think the. Um didn't hear it cut off there and um, but I think it Sorry. was interesting oh go, go on then yes yeah, so what we do is obviously we take the assessment to begin with now that assessment allows us to determine whether or not this child may be eligible to sit the 11 plus because we have to bear in mind it is an above average exam not every child is capable of passing it so you know once we do the assessment and if the result does you know determine that yes this kid should be able to do the 11 plus may be able to pass it then we put them through our year four and year five program which is a two-year program and prepare them for the 11 plus which takes place at the beginning beginning of year six uh, coming back to your question we do offer tuition all the way up to a level so we cover gcse and we cover a level that's really interesting so just um focusing on the 11 plus exam now before we um get into sort of the wider question about um mm -hmm. grammar school government policy um i also teach the 11 plus and i'm just wondering if you could explain to us a little bit about what actually goes into the 11 plus exam what actually what you know what are the sort of stuff that we that a student might expect to see in the exam and what sort of things are they being taught at think smart academy or other tuition centers that um cover the 11 plus what what is what, what sort of subjects are there and what are they actually being taught? Yes, of course. So the 11 plus, uh, 11 plus consists of four subjects. Number one is English, verb, and then we've got number two, verbal reasoning, maths, which is the third one, and then lastly, we've got non-verbal reasoning. Now, each of these subjects tests different abilities of the student. Starting with English, this is based around comprehension. So you have a comprehension extract where there's a short story and the child is asked about, you know, what sort of things, what happens in the story, you know. So it's, it's a 20 mark, 15 to 20 question, multiple choice tests around that short story that they give you. The second one is verbal reasoning. This consists of a lot of vocabulary. So you've got antonyms, synonyms, where it, it, the question may ask. You know, circle the word on the right, which means which is an antonym of the word on the left or a synonym. So this requires the child to do a lot of reading. So it is it is tough vocabulary. 
and at the same time the child must be you know throughout the course of the 11 plus we do regular vocabulary tests we always follow the parents up ask them you know what book are they reading we give them recommended reading lists and then third we've got maths in maths you've got around about 35 to 40 topics which the students need to know now in those 35 to 40 topics they start off from year four year five level so that's what these are the math topics that you need to know at the national curriculum and then they go on to tougher topics such as algebra you know ratio which are topics you don't normally learn in year five or year six so this does for this a child does require tuition because if you follow the national curriculum for school whatever you're learning in schools you won't be able to cover those topics and it won't be sufficient for the exam Lastly, you've got nonverbal reasoning. This is the most different out of the three. Now, for nonverbal, it's also referred to as logical reasoning, where a child is asked to look at patterns and draw different links between them. So you may have a, an exercise which says, right, so carry on the pattern from these four shapes, or which is the missing shape in this pattern. Another one would be, which is the odd one out, you know, similar shapes. So th this test is actually quite challenging because if you know, you know, as you may know, for a lot of job interviews, you get asked these sort of questions. This comes under logical reasoning. This one like I IQ test IQ, kind of exactly. questions, yeah. It's, it's not something which is actually taught in the national, in the curriculum at any stage, whether it be key stage two, key stage three, GCSE or A level. This is something which you have to get the child accustomed to. So for that, you do need tuition. This is the shortest part of the exam. 25% of the exam consists of nonverbal. Um, but obviously, it's quite challenging. And bear in mind, you've got a time frame which you need to do it in. That's really interesting. So I think that the sort of nonverbal reasoning aspect of it, because it is based on logical reasoning, um, the amount that tuition or teaching actually has an effect on their score in terms of the nonverbal reasoning I think is actually quite small because Definitely. um I, I found this with some of my students that actually the nonverbal reasoning part of it you know the, the probably about an hour or two hours of teaching can affect the, the sort of result that they get at the end of the test but actually past that there isn't much of a difference because it's primarily based on your IQ and to me that is sort of where the 11 plus exam is actually quite um, fantastic and I think that's where most of the merits are is you know where the 11 plus actually is just based on our natural IQ or natural intelligence and um, I remember being in school and we were sort of spoke about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset and um, we sort of had I remember my, my teachers always having this conversation with us about the fact that natural intelligence is um, is completely sort of there's there's no evidence behind natural intelligence that actually you you know every child has the same amount of same kind of capacity and I think that that's just not sort of looking at reality I mean the reality mm -hmm. is different children have different capabilities and also different strengths I mean a lot of our students um, tend to be very you know very very skilled at grammar and um, sort of language they grasp the meaning of words very very quickly um, yeah, sorry can I just interrupt there yeah when you say something you know when you know whenever you're teaching the children some may be good at vocabulary or some may not be that good at you know vocabulary I find it really depends on what sort of you know effort the parents have been putting in with their child at home 
because some students that come to us, they're brilliant. You give them a vocabulary test and it's far beyond their level for year four or year five. And that I often find is down to the parents, you know, getting their children into a good routine at home, making sure when they come home, they go to the library, they pick out books. So I kind of disagree that it's all natural and it, you know, we don't sort of have any, you know, a lot of control over it. It really depends on their upbringing. And I find that parents which are more on the on the ball with this, their children tend to be a lot more, you know, academically brighter. Yeah, well, this I guess this is the sort of nature versus nurture argument around course, um, yeah. things like things like the 11 plus exam, which effectively are intended to test somebody's intelligence like natural intelligence there are a multitude of different studies that sort of go into whether or not children are or humans in general are uh, have different like natural capacities which i mean i think that's absolutely true i think that some children have a natural capacity for certain subjects or for certain sort of um, they just have different capabilities and i think that that's that's certainly true when it comes to children um you know, some children potentially have different special educational needs that mean they are ten- they do tend to be more um sort of uh, naturally catered towards specific subjects and but I think so do do you think Sabi that the 11 plus exam is an equaliser then in terms of uh, you know the the children that are sort of maybe from um, lower income families those children that don't aren't you know their families definitely cannot afford a private education they cannot afford to go to private schools they cannot afford to go to any fee-paying schools at all do you think the 11 plus exam does act as an equalizer for those parents that can't afford it or actually is it just a game where middle class families throw the kitchen sink at tuition for uh, their children and then they end up at grammar schools and then you've got state schools that are left with all the children that couldn't afford it no i mean what I believe, I don't believe that it's only for the middle class or students or for the you know parents that can't really afford to put their kids through private education. Reason being is, you know, speaking from experience, a lot of parents that have come to me from wealthier backgrounds, they actually want their children to do the 11 plus and actually work hard to get into the school and make sure that, you know, they want their child to feel like they deserve to be there. You know, I mean, let's say you know, if a child comes from a wealthy background and they have they have the money to put their child through, um, if the parent has a child, if the parent has the money to put their child through a private education, I think that's a bit, you know, it's, it's kind of like an easy route, you know, because we know that the private schools, they are of a lot higher standard. So it's like saying someone has the money to afford to put their child through, you know, private education, then obviously they're they're lucky. If they don't, then they're not so lucky. I don't agree with that because a lot of the wealthier parents have, you know, have come to me over the years and they said, look, we actually want our child to appreciate, you know, when they get into a good school, such as a grammar school, we want them to, you know, appreciate that they've had to work for a couple of years, put in a lot of effort and that, and then get to where they are rather than just, you know, walking into a private school and getting a lot more benefits than you would do at normal state schools so yeah it's 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 a it is a mixture it is a mixture i have to say that's really interesting i never i've that's one thing i've actually never really thought about is is the because uh, we, we we normally when we're talking when we're having these conversations about grammar schools we usually talk about the impact it has on children from lower income families who end up you know, having the opportunity to go to these um, schools that are selective and then they are sort of exposed to a 
a high level of education from an earlier age than their peers at say a state comprehensive school i've never really thought about parents who actually can already afford private education but would like their children to feel as though they've earned their place at that school based on academic merit rather than purely just they come from a rich family <laughs> i of think co- that's interesting course. i've never yeah <clears throat> definitely yeah no i agree it's um that's that's one of the ways to look at it because at the end of the day you've you got to bear in mind i mean if it was myself like, if i had to work hard to get to where i was um i'd always i'd, I'd like my child to also realize that you know there's no substitute for hard hard work and effort so you know at the end of the day it all comes down to the child's attitude throughout you know towards learning and their motivation and what you obviously you know what you you know teach them at home as well because we've seen i mean coming from a grammar school myself over the years you know and you know whilst i've been teaching for the last 10 years i've seen you know kids with very average ability go on to achieve exceptional results at the end you know they're going to do achieve exceptional things going to go into you know amazing careers and i've seen a lot of kids a lot of children that have come to me over the years they're you know naturally so talented above average exceeding in every field yet they're going to achieve very average results it all comes down to attitude so that's why I guess, it's very I definitely important. think that's true I guess in terms of them continuing that work ethic post yeah secondary school because I because I because I mean I guess between the between the two of us we've got the two different educational experiences I went to a regular state comprehensive school in um I was about to say where I live then <laughs> in northwest London and um and if, if anyone's seen any of my tweets they can probably figure it out um but it is a it was a regular state comprehensive school and you went to a grammar school and I think there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting difference there because a lot of I mean a lot of my peers that ended up going to grammar schools a lot of their parents actually moved house to go to grammar schools because in, in where I yeah. live there are hardly yeah. any I don't think there's, there's any at all near where I live but my, I did the 11 plus exam my parents wanted me to do the exam just so that I had the experience of sort of you know revising and studying and looking at revision notes and all that stuff I had that experience in year five so when I, you know I think I was I was 10 years old when I did the 11 plus exam and it meant that when I went into secondary school I already had that mindset you know where I need to be taking notes I need to be understanding the content throughout the year because I learned when I did the 11 plus that there's a lot of content that we've got to learn um and I think it meant that actually in my secondary school so yeah during my time at secondary school I already I already sort of saw myself as a high achiever even if that wasn't the case I mean I remember being in primary school actually this is quite funny when I was in year two um I was in sort of the lower set of we, we had like different tables my school my primary school was very small we had different tables and when I was in primary school I was on the lowest set and I remember my teachers had to give me a foundation sheet before I did the, the little task that everybody else did because I was I was just really thick <laughs> um so the irony is that I'll, you know what like 15 years later I, I came out with two A stars and an A, a level I think maybe that does show that, you know, education is, you know, education has a huge impact and maybe there isn't that natural capacity to learn. Actually, maybe a lot of us have very similar capacities and it does depend on the environment. And it does depend on uh, on sort of the, the, the wider education system that we have. Um, so, Sabi, I'm going to ask you the ultimate question. Do you think that we should end the ban on new grammar schools? Do you think that grammar schools are a force for good in the British education system? 
No, definitely. I think we should end the ban on grammar school. I believe that there should be a lot more, you know, like like you said, just exactly what you said, you know, that a lot of parents, they move their houses and they move into different areas just so that they can come into the catchment area. And that's happened to me so many times. You know, that happened to me last week, um, even a couple of days ago, where the parent came came to us for a consultation and they said, look, we, we live towards, I, I believe it was Harrow or somewhere, somewhere quite far, and they're looking to move towards Slough so they can fall within the catchment area. Um, I don't think... I think it's very unfair for, you know, just because you live in a certain area, you're not given that opportunity to get into a grammar school and you have to move and change your life, get a new job. So that's why I think we should definitely in the ban of grammar schools. And, you know, coming from a grammar school myself and, you know, I had friends which were in other schools. I mean, I can I can definitely say that there is, you know, a big, big difference between the you know quality of work and uh, in the quality of teaching which takes place and you know I, i'm not saying that state schools are bad and grammar schools are you know that's the only place you, sh you should go but <laughs> i think it's also it's like motivation for other schools you know um it's it, because you know when that happened towards you know langley grammar school we had um we had langley academy next to us so it we were always in competition with um those with that school you know, so we had school, you know, kids from that, I had friends from that school. So what did you get in your test result? What did you get in your test result? And, you know, eventually it became, it changed from Langley to Langley Academy. And I think that motivation actually came from Langley Grammar School because it, you know, allowed them to, you know, uh, right. So, you know, it, this is what they've been ranked. So we want to get up there as well. So naturally, all the schools around that area look to better themselves. That's really interesting. So the sort of... Um... I guess not to go down this sort of um, my own my own politics as, as a libertarian, but that is, I guess, sort of the argument behind competition, because when you've got a sort of, I guess, free market education system, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about in the second half of this show. But I think that this idea that competition actually drives up standards in definitely, other schools. Definitely. So this is healthy got, competition, definitely. Yeah, exactly. So if you, this is the same same sort of thing with, I guess, I don't know, a cake shop, a cake business. If a, if a cake shop sets up in in the lovely city of London and they start making really good scones <laughs> and everybody loves those scones and everybody really wants to get in line for those scones the other the other cake shops around around the area are going to try and drive up their standards or alternatively decrease prices uh, in order to increase the demand for their product i think that that's interesting and um, do you think that this commodification of education this sort of um thinking of education as a good as something to be sold as something that we can compete with you know we can sort of uh, let children compete for places at schools and sort of compete for this product which is an education do you think that that's morally okay do you think that actually what we should have is just have really good schools across the board um, or do you think that actually this this competition is healthy? No, I believe this competition is definitely healthy because just with any, just like with anything, it brings out the best in a person. It allows you to achieve your maximum potential. If everything is of the same level, you, you don't know where you stand. It's like, you know, for example, when you go to uni and anywhere, you know, if you go to uni or if you apply for college, if you've only got 50 spaces, but you've got 100 students that are applying with all the same grades, how do you differentiate? So, you know, having grammar schools in place, this obviously allows students to compete with each other. And, you know, it's 
I don't think that's morally wrong at all because it's allowing you to work harder than you thought you needed to work and it just this is it's a, you know it sets you up for life we're not saying if you make it into grammar school this is it you know you've made it in life and I'm not, I'm not saying if you don't make it into grammar school you know you're not going to get anywhere that's looking at two extremes so we should always encourage healthy competition wherever it may be in whichever field and definitely in the field of education this allows you know the younger kids to flourish you know allows them to yeah kind of spread their wings okay look um i want to get the highest mark you know i want to get the highest mark yeah it's this is all healthy competition so having grammar schools in place allows them gives them the ability to do that and it gives them the opportunity i completely agree with you i I just wanted to provide a little bit of balance (laughs) uh without without sort of um, being accused of being you know completely swayed one way but i completely agree i think that the so the, the primary criticism that grammar schools get is that grammar schools are sort of just there for sort of i guess middle class families that can afford the 11 plus uh, 11 plus tuition and um, but actually i think what i think was interesting is with the ban on new grammar schools which um i think was put in place about 24 years ago um around as a sort of tony blair new labor era of politics but slightly before my time um i think that this is really interesting because it sort of speaks to this idea about education and actually what is the government's role in education entirely because we can sort of go down this ideological route and say you know the government should stay out of education completely parents know what their children are capable of parents know their children best and if we you know let parents and let children and teachers have the freedom i think it's this keyword freedom in the education system to choose the education that's best for them is you know that that is is that what really we need in the education system but alternatively i think one of the largest criticisms is what happens to those children whose parents don't care i mean a lot a lot of parents will not care about their children's education you know or maybe maybe they can't maybe they you know they're they're working a million hours a day <laughs> and so physically can't spend the time on their children is do you think that's the responsibility of the government to solve do you, what do we do about those children that might be left behind by a, a sort of a comprehensive grammar school system across the country uh, you know Reem, i believe that wherever there, there's a will there's a way so i mean even if coming from i didn't come from a you know very wealthy family so my parents were working and but at the same time there was always a you know discipline within within the household look this is the time where you have to sit down and you know you've got to work so in terms of uh, you know coming back to your question if uh, whether i think it's sorry could you say your question again yeah so do do you think that it mean that if we sort of implement a, a widespread grammar system across the country that some children will be left behind maybe those I, that I, come yeah yeah sorry i personally i don't feel it's the government's responsibility to you know lift you know take care of all of the um kids that you know are being left behind you know because it's a shared responsibility look you know you know parent or the guardian they have a responsibility not to only you know take care of the child for their in in terms of their health their well-being but also to you know make sure they get a good education make sure they're not neglected so it has to come from both parties you know not just the government or not just the parents we have to work together 
if we want a better future for the country, for everyone, for our children, it's got to come from both of us. Because now, when par- when you know parents come to me and say, "Look, can you guarantee your my child is going to pass?" I said, "No one in the world can guarantee you that. It doesn't matter how good the teacher is or how good the tuition center is." I said, "We can provide you everything in terms of resources that your child needs to pass, but then it comes down to you. How much effort are you going to put at home? You know, with your child." You know, what you're going to do with them, you have to put in some work at home. Or if you don't have time, maybe a sibling or an uncle or an auntie or a family, you know, you've, they've got to work something out. I, I think that's wrong to say it's the government, certainly the government's responsibility to lift those kids out of that situation and, you know, provide for them. As a, as a libertarian, I have to say that's music to my ears. I think that it's never the government's responsibility entirely. And it's not just on a moral perspective, but I think actually the government tends to mess this stuff up all the time. So it's not just that I think the, it's not the government's responsibility to uh, ensure that every single child has the most brilliant education that they can. But actually, it's it speaks to a wider issue. The government can't. They, the government physically, historically, cannot do this. And I think that what we've seen at the moment is... So, Rune, and a... you've got to bear in mind, everyone's situation is different. So if you're going to put the responsibility yeah. on, you know, one party and say, you know, one party, they're responsible for all the shortcomings, you don't know the reasons for their shortcomings. So that's why I agree with you. The government can get it wrong and they often mess it up because you don't know the exact cause of why that child's maybe being neglected. So that's yeah, and why I guess it's, it's I guess this is the issue with yeah, and I think this is the issue with government policy in general, whether it be education or whether it be healthcare or um, sort of variety of other public sectors. This is an issue with government entirely because government looks at things on a you know using a blanket approach. The national curriculum does not work for everyone, does not work for every child because every child is is completely different, and this is where we get into these sort of debate about school choice because actually if children and parents and teachers are able to cater the curriculum to their own child's needs or to their own class's needs then what we should theoretically at least I think there have been some studies on this in the US where school choice has been implemented um theoretically speaking at least anyway these children should see higher education outcomes because the education is directly catered to them but I think this is this maybe speaks to a wider question about like the wider purpose of education and I don't want to attempt to tackle that in this show because I think that's a slightly wider question but if education's purpose is to or school's purpose is to prepare children uh, prepare children prepare students for their lives outside of school do you think that the current system is failing well that all comes down to the schools again. So now there are certain schools. So obviously now speaking from experience, when I went to a grammar school, we used to have companies that used to come in, you know, careers days, etc., where we used to get um, a lot of interaction with the companies and the employees that used to work there. And there were, you know, I used to know some other children from, you know, friends that didn't go to grammar schools and state schools. They didn't really have those links with those companies and they weren't able to provide a sort of um, a reality, you know, what, what you expect once you leave education. So I do believe there is a lot of work to be done in that department because um, often even with the grammar school students, you know, they may, they achieve 
you know, amazing grades, A star, A star. But then I feel sometimes they're lacking in the social side of things. It's because they've been so heavily invested into just books and, you know, academic achievements. They've kind of neglected, you know, so, um, and, and I also find that within this problem within the schools as well. They don't put that much pressure on the children to do physical activity or, or you know, go to clubs or sports, etc. teamwork. Bear in mind, you know, when you join certain after-school clubs or you play for a sports team, that also helps you mentally. It also, you know, teaches you how to work with different children, how you, you know, how everyone's different how you can obviously build relationships. So that's all important. I think that's a responsibility on the school. They need to make children realize the importance of this. Um, and if you don't, the child will never, you know, it may realize by itself, but most of the times they, they may not. And they think, okay, this is all I've got to do. I've just got to get amazing grades, get A stars, and I'll, then I'll make it in life. But, you know, once once you get beyond that, then you find out, and hang on a second, I haven't, I'm lacking in these skills or, you know, had I done this, I would have done, I would have learned, you know, those, these kind of skills. So it really depends on the school as well. Again, um, it's wrong to say the governments, you know, because bear in mind, a lot of these schools are privately funded. So Yeah, I, I guess with, with the sort of new funding models, I don't know if you know much about this. Um, I certainly don't, but it's sort of academies. I mean, they just sort of came out of nowhere. And I guess this is a separate aspect of, school choice where we're thinking about you know grammar schools were a school choice um if we go back in history i think about 50 60 years ago and um, we had the in, in the uk we had the tripartite education system where essentially there used to be grammar schools but there was also secondary modern schools and technical schools and everyone took the 11 plus exam uh, you know nobody didn't take everybody took it in the in the entire country and then that decided what school you would go to post 11 or post 13 whenever you, uh, your um, council decided you would take the exam and um, I think this is interesting because clearly yeah, the agree. current system sort of fails on those soft skills and I and I definitely found that to be the case going to LSE which is um, I think it's now like third in the country for um, university league tables but it certainly felt that way when it came to people around us that were sort of you know my, my different peers and um, I remember going to school and thinking wow like you know going to my first thing wow like I'm I'm really amazing like <laughs> I got two stars a day I'm brilliant and then I go to I do meet different people in my in my first year of university and they're all speaking Latin and they're all they're all sort of talking in this this different bizarre language that I had never even heard of, and sort of discussing these ideas about you know the, or, you know uh, talking about networking and spring week internships and and I just thought oh my god this is a completely completely different world and I think it's these different skills that you learn and so sorry to, to preface is those sort of students went to private schools at private schools you're taught these different soft skills, networking. I mean, especially in London, it's probably one of the most important things to do to get anywhere um, in life and sort of anywhere in your career. You've got to do these, you know, networking and these soft skills, just actually being able to talk to people. These skills were not taught to me in my school, in my state school. Um, so for me, going into, into my first year of university, it was a completely different kettle of fish. Do you think that it's school's responsibility to teach these, you know, teach students these soft skills in the long term? Again, you know, coming back to my point, I was, uh, 
what what I'm finding as you know we're going further and further on is that there's less and less emphasis on tests and national tests, for example, SATs in year six, you know, even in year nine. Now, you know, I don't think it's a major exam anymore, the year nine SATs. So we actually used to prepare really hard for this. I remember now in year seven, eight and nine, because these were national exams across the country. Everyone in the year nine had to do them. Now, I think what the government is doing what I believe the government is doing, they're putting a lot of that responsibility on the school. Okay, look, you can do it, but it's, they've got to be internal exams. You know, so you have end of year exams for year seven, end of year exams for year eight. Now, the disadvantage with that is that you know, if the quality of the teaching in that school is not that good, your the, an end of year test for year seven students may be of a very different you know level of difficulty to another school. That's interesting. So I think that this sort of aspect of um, competition between different schools and the sort of difficulty around various different exams can actually have such a huge impact um, on these things. Um, I just want to turn to, so I'm just going to turn to, I think it's um, Evan Dale who uh, wrote us a comment underneath the tweet. He said, what about a failure in primary schools, meaning that you weren't able to consider grammar schools, that as you developed during high school, you know you'd have you, you know you'd have been intelligent enough to apply to grammar schools, but primary school didn't enable you to progress into these options. I think that's interesting because obviously we know that schools aren't able to uh, primary schools don't necessarily encourage children to um, sort of get into uh, apply for the 11 plus exam or to apply to these different schools actually what ends up happening is um they are able to sort of you know these parents have got to go on their own initiative and they've got to you know, just decide themselves individually to um get into these schools or to apply to the 11 plus exam um or to sort of have these conversations with their children about whether or not they think that they are potentially intelligent enough to do these things or to go on to a grammar school and um, I think that's an interesting comment because just sort of like widely speaking in general uh, applying to grammar schools post second uh, sorry post the 11 plus exam used to be a thing when we had this tripartite education system so if you started off going to a secondary modern school in say the 70s or 80s you would have the option I think when you turn 13 or 14 to then reapply to grammar schools if you, if you felt as though you were intelligent enough to do so. Um, I think what's interesting now is that these grammar schools are so sporadic in terms of where they're located in the country. At the moment, we have, um, we only have about 163 grammar schools in England and around 5% of secondary school pupils in England attend a grammar school, even though about 100,000 students sit the 11 plus exam every single year. So. I think that's particularly interesting. Um, Sabi, I know you've you've popped up. I've just invited you to speak again, but I don't know if that if that's going to work. Um, but I think so. What's interesting now is sort of where these grammar schools are located because we've got this ban on building new grammar schools. These like highly selective authorities are only around Bexley, Buckinghamshire, Kent, Lincolnshire, Medway, Slough, Southend, Dunsea, Sutton, Torbay, Trafford, and Wirral. I just got the list there. But what's interesting about those areas is the majority of them are in the south of England. The majority of grammar schools are located in the south of England, which means that when we're thinking about this sort of levelling up government agenda that we've heard so much about, um, actually grammar schools potentially show that, that you know, because they're located in these wealthier areas, 
why don't we end this ban on new grammar schools build these grammar schools in these areas where we we know that there is unlocked potential to quote our our previous prime minister boris johnson this sort of unlocked potential in these you know deprived areas and we know that the the sort of economic impact as uh, economic um weight of the north is is significantly less than the south at the moment because of this inequality Do you, i think i think that i think that grammar schools sort of allow allow us to have this sort of equalizer yeah d- definitely um because what happens is that if you what i believe the government you know has done over the years is it's very easy to set up a grammar school next to another grammar school and bear in mind you know in slough you know where my tuition center is we've got literally two grammar schools opposite each other. Now, that's because once you make it a culture within an area, you know, grammar schools is the thing, this is where you should be going. What happens is then it becomes a lot more competitive. I remember when I done the exam many years ago, um, there were there was you know, X, X amount of students or X amount of students that were sitting the exam. And now over the years, that number's doubled, tripled, so now, how do you accommodate those students? You have to make, you know, build more grammar schools, and um, you know, and that's what's what, what that's what's happening now. Because uh, what's ended up happening in Slough, these four grammar schools, you've got so many students that are applying for it. People are moving into the area. Now you've got more applicants, but you don't have that. You know, you don't have more spaces. This, you know, the schools they physically cannot accommodate everyone. So what happens? Is, this is why I believe it's good to have grammar schools around in you know, each area because in doing that you know, you know what even though over the years there have been a lot more applicants for the 11 plus the other schools have raised their standards you know i've heard it so many times in the news and and again from experience you know some of the schools in the, in the area used to be really bad now they're all comparing themselves okay look you know won't name any schools but you know, there was another school in, in, in recently in the news which said um, we're on the same level as this grammar school, which was down the road. So this is, I think it's like a benchmark, you know, it's allowing the other schools to really say, right, you know, we need to get on the standard of you know, this school. And, you know, in turn, that makes the entire area almost better because you're looking up to something. It's almost like a role model. You know, we need to get up to this level. Off, you know, Ofsted came in, um, you know, what are they doing right? What are we doing wrong? You can compare yourself. So if you're if you keep saturating one area, I mean, what's going to happen? Everyone's going to try and move there, and those areas areas are just going to get more and more deprived. And that shouldn't be happening because, you know, we're the government is responsible for the entire UK, not just the south of England. So that's something we need to consider. Absolutely. So the conclusion from that statement, Zabi, is that freedom and competition. In every sector, especially education, results in higher standards. Higher I think standards, I know where better quality, yeah, definitely. Yeah, better quality of education and higher standards. Thank you, Sabi, for coming on the show today. Um, that is Sabi Adeen. He's the director of Think Smart Academy. And it was such a pleasure to hear from you today. Just before I let you go, do should we build more grammar schools? Yes or no? Definitely, yes fantastic thank you sabi that was it was really really interesting to talk to you um thank you, i think thank that you. thank you i think that what's interesting about this conversation uh, around grammar schools is that we've sort of been talking about the way that the 11 plus exam works where it comes from you know the sort of different subjects that we see broken down within these uh, exams um and i think it's interesting so just those those areas i listed the 
Bexley, Buckinghamshire, Kent, Lincolnshire, Medway, Slough, Southend-on-Sea, Sutton, Torbray, Trafford and Wirral. These majoritively southern counties where there is such a high proportion of grammar schools. We know for a fact that a lot of these grammar schools do incredibly well in terms of their education outcomes. And a lot of those students end up going to some of the top universities. But I guess this speaks to a wider question. Is that the is that the sort of motivation behind education? Is the intention behind education to get your students to the best, most academically rigorous universities? Or is the purpose of education something more widely spoken about? We touched on that a little bit about sort of these soft skills that I feel as though I didn't learn until I got to university and I was surrounded by students who would come who'd come from the top, most expensive private schools where they had learnt these soft skills. Actually, does this speak to a wider problem within the education system where we are pushing students too far and we're pushing them to achieve these academic sort of targets that we just have not seen before and we don't know whether or not that's actually humanly feasible to get there across the country. Um, I think this is where Tony Blair made a huge blunder when it came to education policy. He said, you know, we need to get more people going to university. And I, I don't I don't think that's really the right way forward in terms of education policy. I think that what we need to be doing is thinking about the um, sort of alternative routes post secondary school and I think this is interesting just sort of looking at grammar schools as a whole where you know a lot of those a lot of those uh, grammar school students do end up going to university actually would a lot of them been better off look, going to different um, sort of apprenticeships or you know these sort of um uh college um courses BTEC courses there, there is so much variety now at the moment and I think the, the, the government has been pushing this uh, sort of trying to upskill different uh, areas of education. Um, that I think to me that's incredibly interesting, especially thinking about the history of that. Before I uh, introduce our next speaker, I just want to um, talk about something that I was looking at whilst I was researching for today's show, um, which is East Germany and sort of um, the, the history of East Germany after communism had collapsed. Um, and I think this is a really particular case where parents themselves asked for grammar schools <laughs> they wanted grammar schools they wanted selective education so um after the fall of communism in in in, in germany uh in especially well eastern germany parents genuinely asked for grammar schools they, they went to their councils and they wanted grammar schools and at the moment germany had you know germany sort of prevails having one of the best education systems in the world they have school choice they have grammar schools. I think they're called gym, gym, gymnasiums, gymnasiums, and they are some of the best schools in Germany, purely due to the fact that they have the selective education system. And we're thinking about the long term sort of um, consequences of a good education system is that we get this economic growth. We get a huge amount of highly skilled people in the labour market. And maybe that is what the aim of education should be having these highly skilled people in the British economy. We talk, I was talking about this today on GB News about um, Lord Wolfson, who's the head of Next, who said that he wanted um, more immigration in order for us to plug uh, the labour shortage. And the guy that I was debating with had said that we actually should be focusing on upskilling, educating the British population, and that we failed in the British education system to upskill these people. I think that's interesting. I mean, I, I obviously, as a budding libertarian, I argued 
you know, that immigration is a good thing and that businesses should be able to employ these workers from overseas. But why is it that we don't have these workers already within the British economy? Why don't we? Why? Why haven't we been able to plug this labour shortage um, ourselves? Is it as, is it a result of the failing education system? Is it because we focus too much on academia and we haven't been able to fill these low skilled um, jobs? What are, I, I don't know. What is the solution to this to this issue? What is the sort of wider consequences of um this grammar school system or this broken should i say broken grammar school system um considering the fact that we only have about a hundred thousand of british our british students that are actually sitting the 11 plus exam every year uh, only 35 local authorities actually contain grammar schools so <laughs> uh, i think that tells you something about the broken system that we have and obviously the majority of them are in the south because um like everything in this country it's concentrated in the south Okay, I'm going to introduce our next wonderful guest. This is a lovely friend of mine as well, Jyoti Nag Chowdhury. Um, I'm going to invite you to speak as well. Jyoti is a student at the London School of Economics as well as myself, and he's also on the Hayek Society Committee. So if in case you guys don't know, Hayek was a um, economist in the 20th century who essentially focused on um, free markets and he was you know, part of the Austrian school. So free markets and free people are his sort of mantra. And um, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But the society that we uh, that Georgie and I both run together are sort of it's sort of based around these ideas of freedom. And I think that what attracted me to this idea of freedom in education is this idea of sort of gra grammar schools having sort of school choice in general. And it, it speaks to this idea that um, when we have school choice or just choice in general, uh, you know, we've got we treat them as consumers in a, a labour market, um, sort of consumers within a education system we think think about the education system as a market itself and we've got parents that are able to choose what kinds of schools their children go to actually that drives up standards and that's sort of the case across the board so Hayek sort of spoke about this knowledge problem and this is sort of one of his most famous ideas I believe it's what he won his Nobel Prize for but I might be wrong on that I, th I think that's what he won it for and it's this idea that you know, we, we use knowledge, uh, sort of government can use knowledge uh, to, to, to sort of try and create government policy, but it's a blanket approach and that actually every single individual economic decision that occurs within an economy is completely individual and there are so many different factors that go into it. And when we apply that to education, we end up coming to the conclusion that allowing parents and children and families to make these decisions themselves actually allows us to have a sort of free market education system that drives up standards and I think that just from a liberal perspective this ban on new grammar schools is completely and fundamentally illiberal but what is you know is this sort of idea around egalitarianism in the education system is that something that we should be striving for so I, I think I've spoken <laughs> at length about um, that conversation but Giotti I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about you know your view on education your view on grammar schools in general and whether you think competition is something that we should try and get in our education system i think i think that you are on mute jotty if you want to unmute yourself and you will be able to enlighten us oh i don't know if that's going to 
going to work, but that's okay. Giotti did actually comment under one of those tweets and said that part of this would be expanding the availability of 12 to 13 plus late transfer, which some grammar schools do run. So children do develop at different rates. So it's imperative that this is an option. That being said, it's only possible with more places requiring more schools. So I think that it's clear that Jyoti is pro-grammar schools and pro um, sort of lifting this illiberal ban, in my view, on grammar, on new grammar schools. Um, I think Jyoti's requested to speak. Let's accept. There we go. Hello, Jyoti. How are you? Hello. Is that uh, working now? Yes, I can hear <laughs> you. Stuff. How are you? Yes, I'm doing well, thanks. Um, slightly horrified that you pronounced uh, a, uh, a scone as a scone. But other than that, it's, uh, it's great to be on. <laughs> um, uh, yes. I did indeed. Well, that is, that is the correct way to is pronounce it. Is it really? It. Right. <laughs> wait, 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 well, that, that's my view. Oh, I, oh. I think, I think the, the Queen actually used to pronounce it, uh, pronounce it as scone. Um, but I, I, I call it a stone, and, that, and that, that's, what I, that's what I'll call it forever. Well, rather topical when we're uh, getting on to grammar, uh, no, uh, with grammar schools. Um, no, I, um, <laughs> I uh, hate to make it sound like an echo chamber, but I, I completely agree um, that the ban on grammar schools represents probably one of the biggest um, systematic and policy failures to do with our education system in recent times. One that, um, so much so, I believe you were mentioning how it, um, the ban itself uh was brought in in uh was it 1998 uh we we, we may end up going a bit, uh, back a bit further because um there are one or two things i'd be quite interested to hear your opinion on when it comes to um things such as direct grants um and and i guess that also filters into uh school choice um but i uh i am um, i'll get the I'll, I'll get the quote but it was uh, along the lines of um that um that the way in which uh, grammar schools have been decimated in the um I've, I've got it here um that the way comprehensive the way in which comprehensives were introduced and grammar schools were abandoned was pretty close to academic vandalism uh that's a quote from his author <laughs> from his autobiography no i i agree entirely um uh with that and um, overall, uh, whilst we'll get on to the most of the arguments uh, that have been brought up against grammar schools aren't really pertinent. In some cases, they actually would, in my opinion, argue the opposite when we get around to um, things such as the, uh, you, know, you spoke about the uh, 11 plus exam before um, and, um, you know, uh, late, uh, being able to um, join later. Um, and also things to do with, um, you know, as you were just speaking about, the, the, the main reason as to why I believe that grammar schools are absolutely necessary in this country is because our education system as a whole, it's completely unoptimized. Um, if we look, if we take independent schools out of the equation, I guess, for a second, um, if we um, look at the system that we have right now, you have so you have some people, a fairly large number of people, who do want to go to university, but then ultimately that also leaves a large amount, number of the population who don't. And in with this sort of comprehensive education system, neither group, whether you want to uh, leave uh, school and start working immediately or leave school and go to university, 
neither of them are going to have educational experiences that are optimized to them. And in this, um, in the changing um, global economy, and especially to keep um, Britain's place, it is absolutely necessary that we do build an education system which is optimized for um, for people who ultimately have different needs. This is also where it comes into with educational choice, which I'm sure we'll get onto. But that's the essential main part of my argument that overall the limiting of school choice and um, in, in this instance has been an absolute travesty and it, 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 it is really nonsensical. Um, and I, I think we need to um, unban schools as um, you know, as soon as possible. Frankly, uh, that's that's essentially the main thing. Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree. I think it's interesting. Um, just speaking about it from a sort of libertarian perspective. I think in, in this in the first half of today's show, we were talking about the specifics around the eleven plus exam and the sort of um, specifics around the grammar school system in its current form and where we can make these improvements, actually building these new these schools across the country. Um, but just sort of taking it from an ideological perspective, which I know it's sort of a, a political view that many of us share, and I see that we have Mike Salem in the chat in the uh, in the chat as well, who uh, is also on the committee at the Hayek Society. So these sort of values of freedom and choice that have proven time and time again to be effective in driving up standards across various different public sectors that includes education, or I guess especially education, because that is where I think that there is something so specific about education. When we're thinking about, I don't know, mobile phones, there are only there are only so many different variations of a mobile phone that we can um, ascertain. But actually, when we're thinking about education, that is so specific to each different child and uh, every child works entirely differently. And unfortunately, I think as a result of the current sort of comprehensive, I mean, it really is comprehensive as in a blanket approach, I dare I even say socialist education system that we have at the moment where parents effectively have no choice. And um, in my view, I think that what we have at the moment is a vicious selection essentially by parental wealth if you live in the right area if you live in the good area then you are able to go to these good schools and if you have enough money then you can go to these private schools and it's completely based on privileges nothing to say about talent at all um unless you obviously live in these um majority of these southern counties where there are still the remnants of some grammar schools i think it's sort of grammar schools are like a historical artifact at this time because of the 24-year ban um but george i was wondering what you think so do you think that choice in itself is a sort of a, a valuable thing to have or do you think that choice um just sort of actually genuinely does drive up standards in education um well ultimately this is one of the key parts to the argument because i think that with those of us especially i think those of us who have you know ideologies that we have convictions of about it the the liberal persuasion yes it's (laughs) well but i think wherever you lie um politically but including uh where um you know the kind of things that we believe in it is a mix of you know philosophy and practice and also what what simply works out of um well as far as the data can show um, but but when it when it comes to things like choice, um, I I I can sometimes be a bit of a um, 
been absolute on the fact that you know a, a lot of things are ultimately yeah, one of the best things about living in a well ideally of living in a liberal democracy is is liberty to make those choices for yourself um i do think that when it comes to when it, when it, it there, there are bless you, uh there are limits uh at, at some points where part of the reason as to why grammar schools have to exist is the fact that not every one is fit for a not everyone is necessarily cut out for a specific um you know type of uh, education you know not everybody is destined to say go into academia and in that sense perhaps you could say it could always be averse to choice, but ultimately it's providing different options. Um, and I think it, it can, we can't solely look at choice in these um, situations. But I would certainly say that it's you do have the choice over whether to pursue this or not. I think in many of these areas, um, the number I've got down, did you say 35? Um, so I was reading an article by Sir Graham Brady where, oh no, it wasn't uh, Sir Graham Brady, it was uh, Charlotte Martin. Uh, who meant who mentioned that it was only thirty six out of the one hundred and fifty two local authorities that contain a grammar school, and that yeah. is a, that is terrible. Um, you know, and, and a, another note of a deputy headmaster who was saying he and funnily enough, one who um, disagreed with grammar schools um, mentioned that there was there were children who were traveling fifty miles to go do their eleven plus, and this is absolutely avert to. Um, being to um, educational choice because it's it it it, it is it, it is restricting the decision to there is the part of luck but also it is ultimately making it more uh, elitist uh, in the sense that it becomes much less accessible for people of a because ultimately these areas are going to end up in a lot of cases um, be more expensive places to move to since you'll be nearby or whatever but ultimately um there's the geographical factor there's also the fact that if we go back to the 11 plus right the 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 threshold for getting into the schools i i might be corrected here but it will be judged also based on the quality of the other candidates and what you're likely to find is that you will get many students who are more than capable of you know, keeping up with the pace of a grammar school who really for all intents and purposes do have um meet the academic thresholds if we're just if say if it was a flat number obviously you can't do it as a flat number that number that, that would be ridiculous but they because of maybe the strength of their intake or due to other factors they may not be able to attend a grammar school um because of this and Whilst they may have chances with the 12 plus or the 13 plus, which may I add is only done by some grammar schools, something which I, I also think should ideally change, but can only be possible with more grammar schools. Um, it, it, it is a thing it, that, that failure to expand the system um, to more regional authorities and, and also just having more places numerically um, is um, ultimately going to limit um, educational choice, which... Uh, is incompatible with the notion of a um, free democratic United Kingdom, as, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that it, grammar schools maybe speak, at least to me, as a first step in a wider 
this revolutionary reform that is required in the education system. And when we're thinking about these, I mean, some might call it slightly more radical, um, but these slightly more radical views about educational choice. And um, I think Milton Friedman said, I think I've actually got the quote, so it, Milton Friedman, who was another economist, um, famously of the 20th century, whose son, David Friedman, I actually met a few months ago. Um, but Milton Friedman, who is a Chicago economist, said, in my ideal world, government would not be responsible for providing education any more than it is for providing food and clothing. Private charity would be more than ample to assure that there are schools available for every single child. So is this idea, I mean, I, I'm just wondering whether you agree with this, that grammar schools are a first step in this wider sort of idea around school choice. Actually, do you believe that we, you know, government should have no role in education at all? Um, I, I think it's a bit unrealistic to say that government should have no... I, I understand where the logic is coming from there. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I guess I could see that if that was an end, that that certainly bringing back grammar schools could be a um, could be a first step. This is why I, I may, when I finish, answer this point. I, I, I was going to ask you about uh, direct grants and what you thought about them, um, but uh, well, uh, uh, but um. Yeah, uh, the, the the question I think would be certainly if, if that is the end that you were pursuing, then I do think that bringing grammar schools would be um, would be a step in that direction. However, um, my my only question is that if the government plays absolutely no role in education, then as far as a just you know having people in state schools whatsoever, but secondly also being able to provide. Um, the vocational training that will ultimately equip people for um, jobs, whether or not they say you want to go into university or apprenticeships, but especially for those of whom who may be, for, for some reason or another, uh, maybe less well-equipped or less inclined to go to university. Um, how would we then go about providing that vocational training uh, for these people? Would we do it solely through private corporations um because whilst like th there are probably there are solutions that you could formulate with this idea i i'm just not sure if it's necessarily compatible well not i'm not sure about how effective it would be or if this is necessarily a desirable end because uh, I, I i would say that it is clear that the current government funding system is failing. I, I was actually in discussion with a because um, uh, I, I actually called about an hour ago a um, uh, deputy head of a of a um, state uh, comprehensive school. I, I won't I won't mention their uh, name out of respect for them, but they um, and they mentioned that whilst it's in a bad area, they're a relatively uh, well, um, so high high uh, decently achieving um, in terms of. Um, university places they've even had two oxbridge uh students in their last intake and but she was saying how when it comes to say teaching uh and when it comes to having people filled in filling in that with with teacher absences that with they actually don't have enough money to then um to then uh, bringing anyone else or to pay for the cover, they the, the funding isn't there, 
Um, and what you'll end up happening um, is so what, what's had to end up happening at some points is where um, in, in one situation where the uh, top the top set maths teacher uh, had to take significant time out, they ended up in this like very crammed, almost lecture style uh, lesson structure, which had the, the top set and the bottom set um, simply because there was not the funding to do that. So what I'm wondering is, is that whilst this system certainly isn't working, would... Now, knowing you, I feel relatively where your answer would be going. <laughs> um, but would would the remedy to this be, other than the clear system change that is needed anyway just to um, optimise teaching and modernise it, because really the system is archaic, um, would, we be put, would it be better for the government to be putting more money into the school system, or do you think there should be an alternative when it comes to funding altogether? Um, I was interested. I think so. Yeah, I think this the attempt with academies was essentially to uh, increase the amount of sort of private charities, private organisations that are um, running these schools and allowing allowing sort of a variety of different areas of funding um, to be included in these state schools. So the school that I went to, um, the sort of state comprehensive secondary school. Um, ended up becoming an academy I think when I was in year 11 so because I left for sixth form I went to a different sixth form college um ironically actually my sixth form college was one that was also like selective which meant that I was sort of I didn't go to a grammar school but I went to a selective sixth form um anyway I think that's interesting the different levels of selection across um one's educational journey I think that when it comes to funding there definitely should be these different avenues for um, private organisations, private businesses to be able to put in their cash because, unfortunately, the taxpayer can only be stretched so much. And, um, you know, a lot of... I think what's interesting is a sort of inequality around taxation. Maybe this is something that we can think about in terms of the morality of taxation in general. But, essentially, if you're a parent and you're paying taxes, you're you're getting some of that out, right? Because your children end up going to these schools, you get sort of the public good out of it. Why we, it's why the sort of argument around the NHS works in some ways, although I would, you know my views on the NHS, um, but it's why that argument works because everybody that pays taxes is able to take out of it. But if you're if you're a you know somebody that doesn't have children or you know never went to a school in this country or you know never um, you know had family members or no connection to the education system. But your taxpayer money is still going to to the education, uh, to the state comprehensive education. So, is this question of whether we all pay in and we all get out is actually feasible, and whether or not these sort of private grants do actually work? Now, the I'm going to play devil's advocate here. The only, I mean, I guess the primary criticism of these like private organizations that end up putting funding into these schools, whether it be um, like sort of academies or whether we sort of have a fully privatized education system where you know government has no business in it and it's all based on the charitable you know the charitable uh, charitable status of these businesses or goods um whether or not that would then mean there are a different slightly different interests that are at hand i mean if you think that businesses do purely run for profit and do not care about necessarily the, the outcome of their services whether or not you, be- you believe that that's the, the purpose of profit and that's the way that profit works in the first place. If you believe that, then 
this entire notion that private organizations private individuals will be pumping money into into state schools that would be a you know completely abhorrent question uh, a completely abhorrent argument to make um even though it might mean that there are alternative sources of funding do i mean what, what do you think do you think that we should be allowing allowing this to happen well the, the, the question well thing is is ideally it could actually be well the main issue is the uh incentive here because the ideal is that we can we can have a system which is built on because ultimately if the businesses are using their brains then having uh having investment into education or putting investment into education um is actually something that could be thoroughly beneficial when it comes to say um building rapport with the consumer or just being able to um train um have have perhaps more uh, hybrid schemes that mix the you know this professional training with um education perhaps going further with that i i do have to admit that maybe i don't go as far as you do with this um when it comes to can remind me what it was that we i was uh, you asked me on um uh what what what's happening and if this is okay or not morally sorry so do you do you think that allowing private organizations to um i guess top up funding that the taxpayer really provides is morally okay <laughs> because essentially well, what that means i mean but wherever money goes various different interests go with it i mean just well, as an mm. example um like political parties obviously trade unions yeah. um fund uh, have, a, have a huge amount of funding in the labor party mm. which while the labor party are always going to be somewhat soft on unions even if it's not in their sort of ideological interest or uh, political interest to do so same goes for the conservative party you know a lot of the conservative parties um funding comes from specific types of businesses which then means you know ultimately their interests are taken into account if you have the same thing happen to education where you've got these private organizations that are pushing um sort of allowed to um, put this sort of private ma- amount of money and, and it's less regulated than it is now with, with sort of academies if we're allowing these organizations to put money into state schools their interests will ultimately be taken into account and say for example we allow for a completely de- decentralized national curriculum and a big old uh, tobacco company comes along and funds um part of a school where they can choose their sort of national curriculum entirely potentially you know their science lessons might include ideas about cigarettes not being as harmful <laughs> as people say they are you know I think oh my god lobbying in the classroom lobbying in the classroom well i think it's something get them while they're young <laughs> <laughs> get them when they're young not whilst they're in, in sort of lobbies in parliament but get them whilst yeah. they're still children in the yeah, classroom exactly. the grassroots lobbying. <laughs> <laughs> lobbying well i think, oh, I think oh, that's um well it's um, something we could always talk about it is it, it does illustrate perhaps part of the difficulty with it. I, I am, I, I like, funnily enough, I do think if you were trying to bring this policy forward in Parliament, you certainly would have some like absolutely livid Labour or Plaid MP bringing up that this is a genuine possibility, almost like you know, sort of. It sounds like something Swiftian almost. Um, <laughs> but, but no. Uh, I mean, I think that when it comes to funding from private corporations, it just needs to be with their consent. Um, ultimately, where if most if both parties get where they're going into, because ultimately, um, whilst it can just be 
altruistic. It's it's likely that you would get a lot. You would get some of these companies that are getting involved would have some incentive. I think though, rather than that coming with an impact on the curriculum, because I, I'd actually, it, it's interesting to hear you say about the curriculum. I I think some some decentralization is okay, but for the most part, I I guess we do need to appreciate that there are. I I think there are a lot of ideas that need to be learned outside of the classroom. Um, And that's the onus of the parents at home. But um, but, uh, even even if it just comes to um, uh, providing insight or perhaps uh, opportunities to, you know, for students to... um, because ultimately it would be mutually beneficial for both the students and the business for these students to, you know, go and see what it's like to, because ultimately I feel as if when you are, um, when you're, when you're at nursery and they're talking about uh, jobs, it generally seems to be, you know, like, you know, doctor or engineer, scientist. I'm not sure how many of them I, would have I, come I up. You, I'm not Jesse, sure, I'm not sure how many of you would have loved to have come up to me and said, oh, well, you know, I would, I would love to be a um, mergers and acquisition specialist at Goldman Sachs. <laughs> Although, to be fair, to be fair, going to LSE, I wouldn't even be surprised. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 you, I wanted yeah. to be a princess when I grew up. And unfortunately, I think that that might be somewhat out of reach for me. But I think it's interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 um, I wanted to be a doctor so you can imagine that when i just changed my mind and decided that i'm a I conservative that's when feasible. i that's <laughs> when i told my very socialist mum that i am indeed a conservative she wasn't exactly happy um, dun, dun, but, dun. But, but the fact is is that overall i i think what one thing that also comes into choice um is is knowledge and is being able to understand the cards that really are there and um whilst we've gone quite far from grammar schools i do think that it is crucial that students are informed of because because the fact is i think the vast majority of jobs are ones that even going into university you probably wouldn't be very knowledgeable knowledgeable about so even if it's not with the funding i think overall at least having some more having some incentive for there to be more schemes and more um training um even if it's just to develop soft skills or just to um, learn about careers more that having some more corporate involvement within the education system isn't necessarily a bad thing uh, especially because when you look at the issues with because uh, if uh, I'm with the issues with uh, the lack of funding uh, for and the lack of number of people going into teaching um, ultimately even if we do bring back grammar schools, these are issues that aren't necessarily going to magically go away. So we do need to look about them largely. And whilst even I'd say that, it, it, perhaps what you're saying with Friedman, um, Friedman was saying was it, it is a, a a bit a bit radical. Um, ha- taking some principles from it could genuinely help with solving the critical errors that are that our education system faces because as somebody who has attended both um you know a private independent school and a state school um a a state comprehensive the actual difference between like the standard of learning 
is is tragic and part a lot of it is because of the fact that the comprehensive the teachers are just not well equipped enough and you can tell that they're also being they're not then they themselves are not being given the support that they need so whatever whichever way we do it it is very clear that our system is in need of you know fundamental change uh from top to bottom and perhaps it is time to look at some um some options that maybe we wouldn't have always considered before yeah definitely I think it's it's interesting when we're thinking about this wider conversation about school choice (laughs) and that's why that's why grammar schools are so interesting to me I mean obviously um personally I I, I teach it myself but is it this element of choice that I think is really interesting so um I wrote a piece for the 1828 a few months ago about um school vouchers and I just wanted to, and we've only got about, uh, about 10 minutes left till the end of the show, but I want to ask you about what, are you, what do you think about these school vouchers? For those of you who don't know what school vouchers are, um, they're essentially um, something that Milton Friedman, uh, again, <laughs> my favourite guy, um, argued for. And it's essentially where the government allocates vouchers to families and families are then able to top up these vouchers if they're financially able to and it allows them the freedom to choose how their child is educated whilst also ensuring that no child goes without an education so it's sort of this idea about school choice and you know government is there to fund education but not to administer education this idea and it was sort of trialed across um certain areas of the united states and i think that uh, when we're thinking about the introduction of school choice um in supporting specialised education. So meaning that learning is tailored towards each child's specific needs and not necessarily each child, but each um, sort of group of children. And um, I think that when we're thinking about in the long term, the impact of the pandemic on education mustn't be understated. And uh, essentially in the, in, the, in the 1828 piece, I argued that um, if we allow for school choice and we allow the, this sort of voucher system to be implemented in the UK, then we will essentially alleviate a lot of these issues um, that are found within the education system, but also as a result of COVID. Because what we saw in COVID is we had a, we had you know, two successive lockdowns. Um, I was in my first year of university at the time, but I remember my eight-year-old sister, she's eight, eight now, so beginning of lockdown, I think she was about six or yeah, she was about six, five or six. And um, it had such a drastic impact. I think the SATS results that um, were released this year revealed that only about 59% of pupils met the expected level, um, which was down from 65% in 2019. So clearly, I think it's COVID is the, the primary factor here, had a huge impact. But allowing for school choice ultimately allows an improvement in the quality of education. And we spoke a bit previously um, in the show about competition and what, the way that grammar schools and specialisation and um, sort of selective schools allow for the specialisation. And it targets the needs of students yeah. that have been left behind by these issues. So um, I guess my yeah. ultimate question to you, Jotty, is do you support school vouchers? Well, the, I, I have to admit, as somebody... So uh, while you were speaking, um, I, I, I honestly hadn't really read about this yet but it's absolutely fascinating um and and an interesting idea um certainly i i think one thing that this would certainly provide um i I may say i i'm still very much as i'm speaking formulating my opinion on this but (laughs) um but one thing that this definitely would provide 
is the kind of institutions that schools can, so that children can go to, uh, especially you know to cater to what they um, in particular need. Because ultimately, we we I think even regardless of whatever you school to whatever school you go to, whether it's you know the you go to Eton or you go to say the newest underfunded um, uh, state school that you might be nearest to, um, is that your your what you require from education is going to be vastly different um to to to, to other people's and what especially because you, your your different strengths will vary in different places different areas are going to need more attention than others um and especially when it comes to i suppose formulating an education that's um actually properly relevant uh to you um it's it's also interesting to look at the finances of this because it's built on the idea of how much money is saved through by those who say um attend private schools in the city of new york so i'm looking at what friedman uh said about this uh i'm definitely when when this space ends i'm going to go and read more about this um but um ultimately when uh what your requirement is completely unique to you um it, having uh, vouchers in order to have have one that would best contribute to you as a you know as a whole human um, to develop to ultimately do what it is you want to do. Ideally, this would be a good thing. My only question to you is, and, and now this sounds really bad as somebody who champions freedom, um, but do is there the issue where, especially when it comes to misinformed parents? or students who may not necessarily know what's in their best interest. Um, could this end up in a, a situation where you end up in a maybe lopsided or unsatisfactory education where um, where ultimately you don't actually get everything you need to get, even if you don't necessarily know that? And, and the follow-up is... Since this is a system which is, and I wouldn't say it's actually that much more elitist than our current system, because our current system is very, uh, honestly, I don't think it actually could get more elitist than it is right now, because we basically (laughs) have the, well, because we basically have the dichotomy of independent or comprehensive, where the the, the choice, unless you say, go to a specialist school, um, it... Is there the issue that our the problems that we have with elitism are not necessarily solved by this? And I have to say, I'm playing devil's advocate here because it does of asking you these because I am I am going to read up on this because this is genuinely quite an interesting idea. No, it is. It's fascinating. I think that that when I first heard about the voucher system, I thought that it was completely and utter bonkers. Um, but when but... you first said it, I thought I was thinking, "What wacky thing is rebringing?" <laughs> no, no, but no, but well, genuinely, it's 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 genuinely quite fascinating. This. I mean, yeah, that wouldn't be the first time I'm I've been called a wacky libertarian oh, no. by one of my peers. Um, but I think that the, that's part of it's, it. That's it's... how you know. That's no. That's how you know you're doing it right. Yeah, exactly. If I've been called a wacky libertarian, then I've done something right. Um, but I think w- what's interesting about this is whilst we talk about, you know, uh, free market systems and, you know, public services and rubbish collecting or whatever other wacky libertarians are completely obsessed with, um, when we're thinking about 
freedom and choice and education it's already been trialed it's been trialed across the united states um directly as a result of milton friedman's ideas being taken into account by various uh, american politicians who've implemented these ideas and i think that um thinking about grammar schools as a whole they can be opened up to various different backgrounds, quotas, and sort of you know, lowering these different standards so that applicants can, you know, can actually have this um, sort of opportunity. And it's essentially meritocracy selected on merit. <laughs> it's you know, true meritocracy. Um, and there's a system that we just have, you know, we, we had it for a while and then it, we, we completely got rid of it un- under the Blair government. So... Um, I think it's interesting in the long term if we think about educational reform, the government really should be taking this um, as an opportunity to reform the, reform the education system. And I think that these newer grammar schools should be located in disadvantaged areas because, you know, we think about the north-south divide or, you know, various um, areas in the south where we don't have these grammar schools. It means that those children don't have the opportunity to, do, to practice for the 11 plus or do the 11 plus exam at all. And it means that we've got essentially this generational opportunity to restore meritocracy in our school system has not been taken. I think the government shouldn't hesitate to take it. Um, but I think that just to sort of, um, on that first question about um, choice in general, I think it, it means that we're driving up these stands because we have these uh, this competition. This, I think grammar schools are is sort of a first step towards a fully free system. And by free, I mean where parents and children know their education better parents and teachers know their education better and they're able to make those individual decisions themselves i hope that answers your question <laughs> well, certainly and uh does that does that uh bring us to a close then or do we have any uh further it, questions that we it like does to i think i think i mean i don't know if anybody else uh listening has any questions just to conclude mm. um but I think that we quite possibly will leave it there. I'm just going to ask you finally, I think I know where you stand on this, Jyoti, but do you <laughs> think that we should end the ban on new grammar schools? Um, absolutely. Um, I think the sooner we do it, the better. Um, and it's ultimately uh, one step to revamping the school system, which is completely necessary, um, and also expanding educational choice. And also, aside from what I, if I'm com- to completely remove, like, for say, what I ideologically believe in, the statistics don't lie. The ban on grammar schools and overall the overhaul in education since um, since the um, since circular ten sixty five and the uh, Education Act of seventy six, it um, it has been a, a a tragedy really as far as the school system is concerned. And I think for us to get back on the right track from this crisis that we find ourselves in. It's absolutely imperative that we um, that we bring back grammar schools and we have a proper reevaluation of what we what we want to of, of the kind of um, um, the kind of upbringing our um, our you know, younger brothers and sisters, our children, our grandchildren will have. Um, and the first step of that will certainly be to remove this ban. And, uh, and thank you so much for having me on it's been an absolute pleasure thank, thank you Jody. i love that bit about um evidence it reminded me of the ben shapiro facts don't care about oh your feelings don't make, um, don't, don't make that comparison <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I think it was a helpful comparison because it means that actually, whilst we can have these ideological conversations about the merits of freedom and choice, actually it does work and it's it's proved that it works. Um, so thank you so much, JT. That's um, JT Nagchaudhry, who is a student at the London School of Economics and um, also on the Hayek Society Committee at LSE. Um, thank you so much to everybody for listening. That was my first ever show. So it was really wonderful to take some of your comments and listen to my guests um, to have this conversation. So, I mean, I don't know what you guys think. Do you think that we should end the ban on new grammar schools? Is the education system broken? What do you guys think? I'd be, I'd love to hear um, all of your views. But thank you so, so much to everyone. I hope you'll have a lovely evening. And we'll be pondering this question about grammar schools and the future of grammar schools, um, I think, for quite a while. Thank you, everyone. Good night.